Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. Praise God. Well, if you will, if you will uh, open your Bibles, open your apps, get your tablet, your phone, or whatever mechanism you have, and turn to Numbers 13. Uh, I wanted to talk this morning about um, about the promised land, and so it's, I always find it interesting that, that the children's pastor comes up and talks about crossing the Jordan, and uh, if you know your Bible, the, the promised land's on the other side of the Jordan, so it's funny how God just makes things come together like that. So, all right, if you will, let's, let's stand. I want to read the word here. We'll start there. We'll pray, and then we will get into it. Numbers 13, starting in verse 25. And for those of you who are sports fans and have the little title at the top of that section, I did not pick this because it's March, and there happens to be a small basketball tournament going on. But in my Bible, it's called the Scouting Report. Numbers 13, starting in verse 25. It says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. And this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amekalites, hopefully I said that correctly, live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Father, I pray that this, like good seed, finds good soil. I pray that hearts are prepared to receive your word this morning, Lord, and I ask that you would bless our time together. Lord, I yield myself to you. Holy Spirit, just lead me, guide me, direct me, Father, in this hour. And Lord, I give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated. Um, so this morning, I, 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 uh, as, I, as I try to do, put a, a title on uh, the sermon, uh, which is good for the podcast that um, I'm helplessly behind on at this point. Um, it is a, a constant thing that, that hangs out there in the back of my to-do list and uh, doesn't make it to my, you know, got done list. So, um, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, Exploring the Promise was the title I had today. Um, and coming out of numbers. Um, and so I have to give a little background here. The last time I spoke, uh, um, about a month ago, I think, um, I think it may have been last family service, we talked about um, the Israelites and them coming out of Egypt. Um, and, of course, uh, how they came out of Egypt was, was in a fashion that, that none of us would have predicted. And the more I study that story, and, and yes, I'm, I guess I'm an old soul, and I just like the Old Testament, and I, I like that story, uh, it just gets richer and richer the more I look at it. Um, 
because to, to think about how creative God is when he thinks about these stories and he thinks about how history is going to unfold and how it's going to be recorded, you can almost see him up there going, what's the most fantastic way I can start this story? Oh, I know it's going to be, it's going to be a lost identity story. Um, so I'm going to have this baby separated at birth, and then, and then he's going to grow up with the wrong people, and then he's going to find out who his people are, and, and then there's going to be this great controversy, and we're going to send him away. But how am I going to get him back? How am I going to get him back? Oh, I know, we're, we're going to set a bush on fire, and he's going to be attracted to that, but it can't really be on fire because then it would burn up. But Okay, so it'll be a bush on fire, but it doesn't burn up. Does that mean the bush is, is going to be hot, or is it not going to be hot? Because it seems like if it's hot, it would burn up. So, okay, it's not going to burn up, but, but how is he going to notice it? I guess there's, there's smoke, but if it's not burning, how can there be smoke? Let's just make it talk. Let's just make it talk to him, and, and that will attract him to it. I'll call him to this bush that's on fire but not on fire, that's burning but not burning. And there's something fantastic about that and how God um, works through history and works through these stories that, shows a creativeness that is unnatural. In fact, it's supernatural. And so it, it, it shows us some of the character and creativeness of God. But we know that, that in the, the Israelites being saved and coming out of Egypt um, and coming to the Red Sea and feeling like, like their past had caught up to them and, and, and feeling helpless in that moment and, and how... And how Moses had to move. And it's such a beautiful thing that God was content to let them sit there in their anxiety and stress and say, okay, you move first. And when you move, I know you're serious, and then I'll move. And I think there's a lesson in that. The, the word says it's, it's good for teaching and for reproof. And, and so we can look at the word and say, okay, what is the lesson we should be learning here? How, how does this apply to today? How can I apply this to my life? And so we see this fantastic story through the Exodus and, and how they're brought through the Red Sea and, and how the Red Sea collapses on it. And, and there's a beautiful thing in that because we see it is this, is this story of salvation. It's the story of how they're saved from their past, how they're saved from the bondage of Egypt. And we know now in hindsight that this is a picture of, of our own salvation and that we can draw parallels between what happened in ancient times and what happens to us today. And so this, this picture of salvation unfolds in the Old Testament. And, and I love the, the end of this because the, the true salvation always ends in something supernatural. Or maybe I should say it always begins with something supernatural. Because to really be saved, you must first believe. And that belief comes from a drawing that you have towards God. You, you have this curiosity that draws you to God. Well, where did that come from? Well, God drew you to himself. If left to yourself, there's, there's a, an infinite number of things that you could be distracted by and that you could occupy your time with. But God will draw you to him. He will create this curiosity and this desire in your heart to, to find out more about him and be drawn to him. And when you come to that point in that journey where you believe, it, it marks much like the crossing of the Red Sea. There is this supernatural event that takes place. And, and for some, it happens in the altar, and, it, and it's this flood of tears, and it's this great weight that's lifted off their shoulders in freedom. 
And it's, and it's just like the Red Sea. It's, it's this supernatural event in everyone's life that, that marks you, and it draws this line in the desert, if you will, that you can't easily cross. And so, so there's something beautiful about that, and, and I liken it to this. It's like childbirth. Salvation is like childbirth. In fact, it says that, that through salvation, we are birthed as a new man. We become a new creation. And it is a second birth. Well, if you think about childbirth, it can be messy. Um, there, there's a much longer story about Sophie's birth um, that, that I can share with you, but it involved a move like this. Whoa. <laughs> um, so, so birth can be messy for sure. But the thing about birth is it happens at a certain time. And before anyone is born, there is this, this season of pregnancy. There's a season where something has to grow. And it's in that growth that we find that you finally reach this climactic point where the birth takes place. And so that's the period where God is calling us to him. And, and birth also comes with things like groaning and crying, and you'll see that in the altars. And, and what was the last one? Oh, and it comes with great effort. It comes with great effort. If you've been saved and you've had that, that moment where you have, have truly had to repent, it, it is a hard thing to do. It, it, it is, it's uncomfortable. There's a weightiness to it. But on the other, other side of that, just like in childbirth, there is cries of joy. There, there is a great celebration. There is a miracle that has taken place. How many of y'all would testify that you're a walking miracle because of a new birth? Amen? Amen. But it's that new birth and it's that, that new life that comes to being that has both uh, purpose and promise attached to it. Because God never brought them out of Egypt just to get them out of Egypt. The text says he brought them out to bring them in. He brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. The, the, the intent, the destination is the promise. The other piece is just the transaction that has to take place. It's just the journey that takes place to get people to move from one place to another. And so it's, it's in that that there is a promise attached to that new birth. So anyone who has been saved of the Lord, and I pray that's everyone in here, and, and if you don't feel like you're confident in that, you don't feel like you've crossed that, that Red Sea, then let's talk about it. Let's get together. Let's make sure of your salvation. Because there is a promise on the other side of salvation that, that comes along with this new birth, that, that now we have to navigate and figure out what that is. And that's where I want to kind of pick up the story with the Israelites, is that they, they get into the wilderness. They, they have been released from their captivity, and, and much like your life, they now have a new life that they have to navigate. And this is where, as children of God, we have to move out of that infancy, out of that that we just got saved, I have this belief and this basic level of faith in my life, but how do I get to know him? How do I, how do I tune my ear to hear his voice? How do I follow him? And that begins in the wilderness. And it's in the wilderness, as we talked last time, that, that we mature and grow. Is that we, we, we move out of this um, spiritual immaturity, this spiritual uh, uh, newborn infancy, and that we grow into maturity and, and a mature Christian at that. And so there's, there's a, a process of maturing and walking out our salvation that, that, we, that we go through in the wilderness. 
Now, if you will, I want you to take you to Numbers chapter 9, verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 15, excuse me. Because there's, there's a picture here I want you to see. Numbers 9, 15. And so again, we're looking at the Israelites in the wilderness, but I want you to see the parallel here to your life. Numbers 9, 15, it says, On the day the tabernacle was set up, So the tabernacle is the meeting place of God. Now, in the New Testament, what's the tabernacle of God? You are. You are the tabernacle of God. So in the day that the new tabernacle of God is set up, look what happens. The cloud covered it. Now, what is the the first promise of a new believer? It's the impartation of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is a new cloud that covers the new tabernacle. And we should all receive that with joy. The heavens erupt with joy when when one comes to salvation. So just as in old, when when the tabernacle was set up, the presence of the Holy Spirit comes in and covers it. Now, it says, but from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. Now, just a, a little aside here. One of the things that I'm discovering about the Bible, um, and as, as you read and study, this, uh, this is probably a lesson that you've all learned. Maybe I'm just a little slow. I don't know. But it's interesting in the language that, that, that um, in this case, um, I think this is still Moses would have used, right? So he's describing this cloud of fire. But he says it's like a cloud of fire. Or it, it, like, it looks like it contains fire, but it's not really fire. And so one of the things that I'm, that I'm finding and discovering, especially as you study the prophets, is they didn't have language to describe what they're seeing. And so you see a lot of this, it was like this, right? And it had the appearance of this because they didn't know how to describe it. And one of the, one of the, the uh, books I was reading this week described it like this. If you had grown up inside a cave your whole life and then suddenly you were taken outside, how would you describe it? All of your language and understanding is based on a dark cave full of cold, wet rocks. How are you going to describe what a tree looks like? How are you going to describe what the sun looks like? You have no reference to describe these things. And I can only imagine that as God is revealing himself uh, and, and showing himself in this cloud and this pillar of fire, that they did not have language to truly describe exactly what it would look like. They didn't have language to share with us in the text to describe it so that we understand it. And so there, there's a bit of it left to our imagination. And when you get over into the prophets and you get over into Isaiah and you get over into John where they're seeing end times thing, imagine that they don't have the language to describe it. And they'll say, well, it, 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 it looked like a throne. What does that mean? It, it kind of had a chair-like appearance to it? Like, like maybe you could imagine a king sitting on this or, or somehow it, it was like, somehow elevated above the rest? What does it mean to look like a throne? And then it had an appearance on the throne of something like a man. So did, was it arms and legs? Was it a face? We don't know. We don't know. But the beautiful thing about it is, is that he let God glimpse on those things and the wonder they must have had for the rest of their lives trying to put language to it that they just simply didn't possess. There is a wonder and mystery about God that just excites me. There's a wonder and a mystery about what he might be revealing to to even some in this room that we just can't put language to. 
And I think about the, the few times that God has shown me pictures and allowed me to, to visualize things and that, that I try to imagine, you know, what's the meaning of this? And I, and I immediately get into this prayer where I'm like, okay, God, I see what this is. Now, now what does it mean? You know, and he'll impress upon me certain feelings or, or certain connections there or whatever to what's going on, and that's the best I can do. But I can't describe. I don't have words to describe. It's full context and it's full meaning. And so as, as I look at this and, and I think about this cloud that looked like a pillar of fire. Now, it didn't say the cloud ever went away. But it said this cloud at night, in the evening and through the night, looked like a pillar of fire. And I can only imagine that it must have had some light emitting from it that wasn't visible during the day. And yet that light is still enshrouded in a cloud. And I'm taken back to, to Moses hiding in the cleft in the rock and how God's presence passed behind him. And how, and how even when Moses looked, he really didn't see. And how God says, no man can really see my glory and live. And I've got to imagine that that might have been God's glory in there, wrapped in a cloud that obscured it to the point where everyone knew he was there, but yet still couldn't really see. So there's something fascinating about God here in this pillar of fire. And it says, this was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled and camped at the Lord's command, wherever he told them to go. Now, I look at that and I see two things. One, the appearance of God was really easy to observe. You could go out from your tent look across, you know, the camp and go, cloud's still there. Fire's still in the cloud at night, easy to see. And when it moved, they go, uh-oh, we got to go. We got to keep up with where God is going. And I think for us today, that same Holy Spirit that now resides within us, I think leads us. And we have got to learn, just like they did, to go, okay, Holy Spirit, where are you going? Have you left this place where I am? Have you left this, this move, this ministry, this job, this location, this, this home, whatever, right? But it is the Spirit leading us somewhere, and then we've, we've got to have the, the wherewithal and the understanding to know to follow. Daryl, come here a minute. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it. All right. So, so Daryl is just like all of us, and inside here, the Holy Spirit's in here doing a dance, right? And so we've got to learn that when the Holy Spirit says, go this way, that we need to go this way. And when he says, stop, we need to stop. And when he says, turn around, we turn around. And when he says, jump, oh, this is working really well. All right. Thank you, Daryl. So, so I look at this, and I, and, I, and I go, that's really hard to do. That's really hard to do. We've really got to train ourselves. We've got to tune our spiritual ears and our spiritual awareness to, to sense his presence, to really get familiar with the Holy Spirit. Because, I, you know, if you've been here any time at all, there, there's times when we come up and, and the service is, in a certain atmosphere, a certain move, and we'll get up here and, and we'll just wander around. And it's like, okay, 
Holy Spirit, where are we going in this moment? And, and, it, and it takes some effort and it takes some draw and desire to really yield yourself and go, you know what, I don't want to leave this moment if we're not supposed to leave. And, and I don't want to move on if we're not supposed to move on. But I don't want to miss it either. And so there, there, there is an awareness that we have to have of the Holy Spirit. And you might, might look at this and go, well, they had a cloud. They just, there it is. You know, easy to see. But what do we know from the text? Still in that, they still struggled. They still struggled day in and day out, even though they could go, huh, there's God. He's still with us. And yet in their daily walk in lives, they still struggled. And so it's easy to think that if you had, if you had a, a compass and could go, okay, God's going this way, I'm going to go this way. But then life brings you all those distractions. And before long, you're like, okay, you know, and you're all over the place. And that's just the reality of, of living in a world that, that we're easily distracted from. And it underscores the need for us to be focused. It underscores the need for us to really have that desire in our hearts to pursue him. All right. So, even though they had something they could look upon, they didn't have that desire in their hearts. And so now today, we don't have that necessarily that thing to look upon. Now, we, we can look at others, and we can go, you know what? They're really on to something. I can see the fruit in their life. Something is really happening, and, and I'm going to get near that person because, you know, I know God's blessing is on it, and I feel a draw to be connected, right? But at the end of the day, God is more interested in what's in your heart than what your eyes can see, okay? Because you can chase a movement that's not your movement. You can chase excitement that's not meant for you. You, 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 can, you can be what, what, what ends up kind of dampening that out if you're in the wrong place. You know, you can be the proverbial square peg in the round hole. And you really need to, to know in the spirit and follow with your heart and where the Holy Spirit is leading you and not follow your eyes, not follow your emotions. They will follow where God leads. Okay? All right. So, this whole season in the wilderness is about growing and maturing, but then there comes a time where we, we're going to move into the promised land. And so, back, back to my text here. So, so this, this scattering report, this number 13, anybody know, this is so interesting, I didn't know this until I studied this. Do you know when they first saw the promised land, when this event takes place in Numbers 13? How long they've been in the wilderness at this point? Two years. It's two years. God took them to the promise in two years. And, of course, we all know that they missed it. We all know that they missed it. And then that generation of people had to, had to pass, save two people, before they were allowed to move back into it. And so there, there, there is a, there's an indication here that God will allow us to move at an accelerated pace, but we've got to be ready to move at an accelerated pace. Okay. And that, that may not be a comfortable thing to do. And I'll go, go into that in a moment. All right, so they're two years in. At two years in, they were allowed to get a glimpse of the promise. And so I, I, I wonder, as we apply this to our life, 
What's the promise that's, that might be staring you in the face? How many of you are, are in this point right now where, where there's a promise in front of you, and, and much like them in the wilderness, they can go in and go, wow, it's a great promise. If we could move right now, it'd be a, a great time to move. But much like this report, there's giants in the land. There's an, there's an enemy in the land. There's, there's people already there doing that. God laid it on my heart to start a business doing whatever, right? Sewing dolls. But there's lots of doll companies out there. And I just don't know how I'm going to compete. Maybe you're supposed to start a ministry. Maybe it's, it's uh, I don't know, reaching out to war-torn countries. And that's something God has laid on your heart. But then you look at the Red Cross and you look at this ministry and that ministry and you go, well, the, the land's already full of people. Why does he need me? Or maybe you're starting a church. <laughs> and the Lord says, now is the time. And you wrestle with him for a year. And yet his grace is sufficient for you to step into it and move into it. And the fruit has been fantastic. But I wonder if there's promises that are not right in front of us. I wonder how many of us are standing on the shore of the Jordan looking over the promised land or getting the reports from the spies in the land that say that it is a land filled with milk and honey. So I want to I learn from what's in the text here. And so I want to dig into this a little bit more. So the, uh, back at the beginning of Numbers 13, verse number 1, and I think this is so important. There's a word here, and I want to point it out, but I want to point it out where it comes from. Numbers 13, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. So I think there's a couple things we can see from that. One, we know that, that Moses was the mouthpiece. And he wasn't a particularly skilled mouthpiece. He stuttered. He was not confident. He leaned on his brother a lot. But we also know that, that, that he had a heart towards God and that he would listen to God and he was obedient to God. And so the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land. Now that word explore is an interesting one and it's key to understanding this verse and this passage because the, the Hebrew word there is tur, T-U-R. And that word means to turn about or to wander. And if you jump down to Numbers 21, there's another explore in your, in your text. And in that one, uh, Numbers 21, verse 32, it says, After Moses sent men to explore the Jazar area, they captured all the towns in the region and drove out the Amorites who lived there. Now, that word, explore, is regal. And the difference is, in tur, it means to, to wonder or to turn about. Just go have a look. And the other one, regal, means to observe strategically, militarily. What's their strengths? What's their weakness? How do we, how do we exploit that? And so, and so we have to look at them standing on the Jordan and what God asked them to do. And he says, go into the land and see if my promise is true. Go explore the land and see if I didn't tell you that it was going to be a fruitful land, that there was going to be wells you didn't dig and crops you didn't plant that are ready to be harvested when you get there. Go see if my promise isn't true for you. And then second, in this, um, God is so good. 
So the first thing, they're just supposed to go look at the land. Is the promise there? Is it ready? Yeah, there's other people there. Yeah, there's giants in the land. But is the promise there? Have I not told you? And is it not true? It says, don't, don't get your eye on the problem, but is the promise there? Is it there just like I promised it would be? And then second, I have to look at, at who, who brought back the report. Now, if you look back at the beginning of the chapter there in, in number 13, they pick one person from every tribe. And we know that, that Caleb was the one that came back and delivered the good report. Well, Caleb was paired up with this other guy, Hosea, that Moses called Joshua. And so, so if you look at Caleb's name, and I love this so much, Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. And y'all know what the tribe of Judah is and who the tribe of Judah is, right? What are they famous for? Worship, praise, yeah. So you got the, the one from the tribe of praise whose name Caleb means devoted to God. Now, if I'm going to send a scout out to check out God's promises, I want someone who's devoted to God, who is full praise. I want someone, I don't want someone to go out there who, who's from another tribe that's not ready, not fully devoted to God, but, but, but I, want to, I want to take that piece of me that, that I'm going to go out and test God and make sure his, his, what he said is true. And if I see the truth, I want to immediately be able to go praise God. And I want to have that on my heart. So Caleb, whose name means is, is wholehearted or devoted to God from the tribe of Judah, was the one that brought back the good report. Well, his sidekick, who remains mostly silent through all this, is Hosea, whose name means God saved or brings salvation. Moses calls his, his name Joshua, which means God is salvation. And so here, here you've got the one devoted to God, paired up with the one whose name means bring salvation, who is also called, also called the God of salvation. That's the pair that's sending into the land that's, that's bringing back the good report. And I think there's something about that that says that if we go and look for that promise and we don't have the right heart, then we may not see the promise. We may get our eyes off of the promise and see all the other reasons why or why not to, uh, to, to grab the promise and hold the promise. The other thing that's interesting here is that Joshua, whose name means God is salvation, is also linked to another name that also means God is salvation. And you all might know him. His name is Jesus. And so there's an incredible link in, the, in symbology, in the words, and the names that are here about how we approach the promise. And I think there's something really, really powerful in, in looking at how this parallels how we should look at God's promises and how we should look at the future and the promise that we have over our own life. And it's also worthy to note that Caleb and Joshua are the only ones from that generation who eventually made it into the promise. So it, it really speaks to me about how we approach the promise. And then the, the report. I want to dig into the report here. So Caleb, Caleb and Hosea come back, and, and, and they have, there's two sides to every story. Um, so Caleb comes back, and he says, yes, it's just as bountiful and flowing with milk and honey, and the fruit is great. And they bring back, apparently, between the two of them on this pole, this one bunch of grapes that it takes both of them to carry. 
It's that large. It is so foreign and unnatural to them. They're like, we, we got to take one of these back. They're never going to believe what we're telling them unless we bring them proof. And so they bring back this big bunch of grapes. And they bring back figs and pomegranates. And so what's, what's so important about grapes, figs, and pomegranates? Well, the grapes show the promise, and it shows that, that there's a whole valley full of them is in their report. There's a whole valley full of these things, and they bring it back as evidence of how great it is and how, how they may have imagined what God was doing and how God has one-upped them in their imagination and how bountiful and full it is. Well, pomegranates are, are particularly interesting because pomegranates are a symbol of prosperity and wealth. And, and you'll see these, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, on the top of Roman columns, they will often have pomegranates carved into the top of Roman columns. And essentially, it's showing that these are so delicate and, and um, uh, what's the word, uh, intricate and rare that, that we're just going to put them up here to show how, how great we are. And we're, our land is filled with them. And so you have pomegranates that, that, that is a symbol of prosperity and wealth. And then you have figs. And figs are a symbol of blessing. Now, I haven't looked into it, but I know that Jesus curses a fig tree because it's not fruitful. And so if the fig is a, is a symbol of blessing, we'll get into that another day. I'll leave that to your imagination. Some of y'all look that up when you get out of here today. All right. So, so that's the report that Caleb and Hosea bring back uh, of how, how true the promise is. They're the ones that, that, that went out and really did what was asked of them. And they looked over the land and said, you know what? They said it was going to flow with milk and honey. And look at this. Here's, here's the Willy Wonka uh, river of milk and honey flowing right through this land, right? And they come back with these grapes, and they come with all these things, and, and, and their whole thing is the promise is true. What God said is true. The promise is there. It's laying for us. And Caleb is like, let's go take the land. He's like, God has brought us here. He's brought us to the promise. He's allowed us to see the promise. Let's go. And, of course, then you have the report from the other ten that are like, yeah, we, there were some giants in the land, and they actually name them in here, and, and I won't try to pronounce their names, but they actually name three of the giants that are in here. And they're from this, um, this family of, um, of Anak. And so there's three giants in the land, and the thing that, that, that gets me is, is that by the end of that text, everyone's a giant. They get to the end of the text, and, and they're like, the, the, the land is full of giants, and we're like grasshoppers. And so what it tells me is when we go and look and all we focus on is the problems, it magnifies the problems. It magnifies the challenge to the point where, where our, uh, um, our courage, our faith ends up being squeezed down to where it's the giants and the grasshoppers. And it, and it tells me that if we get our eyes off of the promise and we focus on the problem, that one, we get deceived, and the problem seems way bigger than what it really is. But Caleb, Caleb remembered the promise. Caleb remembered the promise, and that promise is in Exodus 23, verses 23 and 24. And God says, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, 
so that you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. Dropping down to verse 30. I will drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. You see, God had made a promise. God had been faithful. God took them and said, you test me. Go see if my promise isn't laying right in front of you. And all they could come back with was the thousand reasons why not to. The thousand reasons why somebody was already there. There was already people doing that. The competition was too tough. And instead of seeing that God had been faithful and true and wanted them to move, they said, I don't know, God. I don't know if you can handle it. I know we can't handle it, and and I don't know that you're going to be there for us. Because they didn't have the faith to move forward in that moment. They didn't have Caleb's faith to go, but, but he promised. And he's brought us here. Do you all remember the, the big Red Sea that we walked through? Have you forgotten that? Forgotten how God delivered us from that, how he's fed us for two years? You're wearing the same shoes and the same clothes. Have you forgotten all of that? And so Caleb, with his whole heart, is remembering what God had promised. And so down in verse 30, it says, I'll drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased. And that, that stood out to me. Because again, what God does in the Old Testament corporately, he does to us individually. So when it said population, I immediately thought, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to have the population increase? And I think what that means, when your population increases in ancient times, your tribes get stronger, right? The little problems become even littler. The big problems become manageable. And so, and so what it's telling me here, that, that as your faith grows, as your strength grows, as, as you get more encouraged, all of those issues that are in the land, I'm going to slowly take those away so that you can possess the promise. You see, so God has a plan in the promise. And while you might look at it, and you might be conflicted, and you might go, how are we ever going to do this? It doesn't make any sense. Why would he pick me? This seems like such a big thing. I, 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 I don't know. I just I feel like a grasshopper. And yet he says, just move. Just take that first step. And when you take that first step, watch me unfold that next page. And then you'll take another step, and you'll begin to be encouraged because now you've taken two steps, and that third step won't seem so hard. And so he, he'll keep unfolding this and unfolding this and unfolding this in front of us as we, we step into that purpose and that promise that he has in our life. All right, one final comment, and then there's a warning I have to attach here, and then we'll pray. And Daryl, I thought of you when I, when I went back through this yesterday. And you'll know what to do with it. (laughs) It's probably a good start. Good start. Not for you, but it's it's part of a conversation we had yesterday. All right. So God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guide. And we've got to listen, learn to listen and obey. We've got to learn that when the Holy Spirit moves, that we move. If, If we're stuck at camp, and the cloud has left, we are probably not in a good place. But, but, but we, we've got to, to learn to feel that, that pull of the Spirit in our lives, that, that pull of the Spirit in the moment, 
And so we can navigate every moment and every decision where he's leading us to go. And we've got to learn that, that this tugging here at our hearts where the Spirit is leading us has got to be greater than what we see. Because what we see and what we perceive will seem like there's giants in the land. will seem like we're little grasshoppers. There's no way we're going to make it. We're going to be defeated. And yet, if God is leading you into it, he's going he's to fulfill that promise. And it's not going to be through your strength and your might but it's going to be through his will and, and your obedience that is going to allow you to move in those things. All right, so we've got to let the spirit rule over the flesh. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but we've got to let the spirit lead us. All right, and like Caleb, that faith is going to bring courage, and that courage is going to allow us to give our yes. It's going to allow us to take that first step and it's going to allow us to move forward. It's going to allow us to move into that next chapter in our life where God can now do things that he couldn't do. You see, God had to keep people in the land while the Israelites were on one side of the Jordan so that the wild animals and the beasts didn't come in and take over the land. He needed someone to tend the crops in that land so that when the Israelites were ready, they could come in and possess those things. You see, someone out there is probably maintaining your promise and it looks like they're occupying your promise when they're just tending it for you. You see, God has people in place, has things in motion already, and he's waiting for you to take that step. He's waiting for you to step into what he has promised in your life that is going to open those doors of opportunity and allow you to move into that where it doesn't look possible today. All right. And finally, a warning. And this is so important. So important. He mentions it over and over and over again. And for some of you, you've probably been stuck on these kind of things, and I'm going to unstick you. All right. Um, he mentions a warning several times throughout this text. And, and this one I'm going to read, I think it's from Exodus 23, uh, verse 24. And he says, You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practice. Dropping down to verse 32. Make no treaties with their gods. They must not live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me. If you serve their gods, you will be caught in the trap of idolatry. And what that tells me is that as I look at, at our lives and we go to work, we, we can't participate in those rude jokes that demean people. We, we can't. We must run our business honorably towards God. It doesn't matter if everyone else is cheating. It doesn't matter if everyone else is scheming. It doesn't matter. You've got to live it honorably before God. Because if you don't, God is saying that there is a trap there. So whatever that promise is that he has in your life, part of you living in that promise and being prosperous is going to be tied to how well you honor God in that promise. And so it's repeated over and over and over again. We can't compromise our values with the world. And as soon as you do, you are no longer in God's graces and you have fallen outside of the promise that he has for you. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after him. If you would like to find out more, 
please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.